0: everybody to another edition of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together we cover Notre Dame football recruiting and more for InsideNDsports.com on the Rivals Network. Football is back. We are excited about that. The Irish opened preseason camp Friday and put on full pads for the first time today, Tuesday. That's the only thing that can pull our attention away from Notre Dame's continued hot streak on the recruiting trail, which included four more commitments in the last week. The position, uh, Notre Dame's football team, that's expected to make the biggest leap this season is undoubtedly the offensive line, so we couldn't think of a better way to start our podcast coverage of preseason camp than than by inviting on College Football Hall of Famer and CBS Sports Analyst Aaron Taylor. Aaron, thanks for joining us.
1: My pleasure, Tyler. Anytime we're talking Irish football and O-line, I'm in, buddy.
0: (laughs) Aaron, before we get to the specifics of this Notre Dame team, I, I... I wanted to go fishing for a story for me what, when I say fall camp, what's the, what's the first memory that comes to mind for you?
1: Oh man, it, it's, <laughs> I think all of us that played the game of football and that do play dread camp, it's this mixed emotion where you're, you're looking forward to it, but not really because you know what it involves. I think still to this day when it's early morning and it's hot and humid and the smell of wet grass, like my body starts to shake because it knows <laughs> what's coming. So, It's a time of the year that we all look forward to because you get to put all your hard work into play, and it's a season that's the reason most of us were put on this planet. At least that's the way we feel. But uh, it comes with a price. Although I will say, these young cats now got it quite a bit easier than we had back in the day, especially (laughs) on the NFL level. So they uh, they probably would have a different story to tell 25 to 30 years after their career. But uh, for those of us that are fans of the game and love it, it's an exciting
2: time, obviously. And Tyler scared me there for a second when he said he wanted to go fishing with you. I, I've seen so many videos. Your kids must have caught more fish than any children in this country based on your videos, I think. But uh, Oh, man. It, it's my pastime, Eric. I love
1: it. So, yeah, if you guys ever want to go fishing, we can catch some crappie and some walleye in that part of the
2: country. I'm not a big freshwater guy, but uh, anytime <laughs> I can have a line in the water, I'm good. Well, sounds good. You either have luck or great technique. So um I'll, I'll shift back to football here. I remember us talking in the spring and you asked me who the 10 best players were going into the spring. And I gave you a list and you were very disappointed in me that I didn't have more offensive linemen on that list. <laughs> I would say that that has shifted since Harry has coached them. You know, he hadn't coached them yet. Um, But and collectively, given that they were, you know, an offensive line that struggled for various reasons last year, what's a reasonable expectation of what we should see from that group this year?
1: That I think it's fair to say that the Notre Dame's offensive line not only won't be a liability by years end, it'll prove to be a strength. That's a testament not only to Harry Hestand and what his track record is and how he approaches our position, but also the extremely talented players that he has in that offensive line room. Once again, he takes over uh, a unit that didn't perform maybe as well as, as we wanted to for, for your, you know, tagging off what you said um, for a variety of reasons. But injuries played a big role there. But I always look at things like a lump of clay and the clay that Harry Hestand has in that old line room uh, it's going to look really good, and I think that starts at the center position, obviously, with Jared Patterson. I mean, him in and of himself as an individual player, we saw that a couple years ago, certainly has talent. He's a wily vet now. You want that guy in the center, especially with a new, fresh, bright-eyed quarterback that's going to be underneath there. But you start to build around that with Josh Lugg being in that room and some of the young tackles that they like, Joe uh, who's the son of a player that I played with back way back in the day. There's some really exciting pieces to this puzzle that I think as we start to move into this 2022 season uh, are going to prove to be uh, an asset. And that's going to be right out of the gate when they go on the road and take on a pretty talented Ohio State team.
0: Aaron, I'll deliver some news to you. So far in camp, Notre Dame has been exper- experimenting with Jarrett Patterson moving to left guard and Zeke Carell at center. They believe that that is the – the best combination of five on the offensive line. I'm curious, what what are your thoughts on the risk of that potential move in terms of moving Jarrett Patterson, who is, I think, reasonably expected, has been one of the best centers in college football to left guard and, in order to make room for someone like Zeke Carell at center?
1: Well, I think it underscores what we're talking about, which is about the talent in that room. If you have somebody that you feel confident enough to put at the center position to move uh, a proven starter there over to the left guard position, those are good problems to have. Now, for Jared, unfortunately, it, it's always a challenge, you know, when you move playing one position to another or moving from one side of the offensive line to the other. It's a natural uh, progression. It happens all the time, but it's like I, I liken it the analogy like I used to be a, a, a PC guy, right? Everything was Microsoft. And then I finally eventually moved over to an Apple. And when I did that, my Apple computer did everything that my PC did, but it was just slightly in a different place. It, it wasn't functioning exactly the way that my old unit used to do, and it took me a while to get used to it, but once I did, it became second nature. So it's not impossible to do, it just takes a little bit of time, but I, I, I'm interested to talk to Harry once camp break so that I can get the lowdown down in the skinny, but that's always been the rule of thumb at our position. You put your five best on the field, That happened to me. I was a unanimous All-American as a left guard, but I got kicked out to the left tackle position my senior year because they needed me at that position. And it was a struggle. It wasn't easy. It it was really hard during the spring. It was really hard early on in fall camp. And even through the first three or four games, I never really got comfortable trying to get in that left-handed stance. So I'm probably the only lineman in America that's ever won the Lombardi at left tackle in a right-handed stance. It just doesn't happen. But I was athletic enough to make it, uh to make it work but I- i'm excited man harry's going to put the five best players on the field that they're going to give them the best chance to win they're going to be tough they're going to be physical and they're going to play together as a unit anytime you're starting there with a brand new offense and quarterback under center you've got yourself a shot at the end of the day that's what offensive linemen our job is to do is to give the play a chance
2: aaron i'll follow that up too it, it is interesting because zeke correll was the starting left guard at the beginning of the season and eventually got beat out by Andrew Christofik. Um And then Harry comes in and this kid moves back to center and, and he plays center in the spring because Patterson isn't there. You know, Patterson had a torn peck. And so Zeke Carell got reps and so progressed at that position. He became one of the top five. So, maybe take us through what how Harry helps those kind of transformations happen because I think if we had the old regime we, we wouldn't be seeing Zeke Corral right now and and he's 16 pounds bigger um, and he's good enough that they move a three-year starter to left guard. It's incredible Harry he stands you know on
1: the Mount Rushmore of O-line coaches in, on, in the, on the college level uh, for a good reason. You look at his track record, you look at his pedigree, but the secret to his sauce is simplicity. It's not overly uh, cute. There's not all these different, you know, new cutting edge techniques. It's fundamentals. It's setting your feet and punching. It's running off the football. It's pads, then hands. It's winning leverage, up and down leverage, inside out leverage, over and over and over and over. We know that he was a disciple of Joe Moore and, and the way that it worked for us, belief is a big piece of, of what allowed Joe Moore to be successful what's allowed Harry. He's stand to be successful and everybody that comes out of that lineage. And it goes like this, first, the coach believes in us. Then we believe in his belief. And then finally we believe in ourselves. And once that happens, people have a problem. And the way that that okay. belief is developed is through repetition. It's through fundamentals, it's from doing the basics over and over and over and over and over again, so that it becomes automatic. Most coaches, in my opinion, don't have the time or the ability, the willingness to hold people to a standard because it's harder. They don't let a kid make a mistake and then just move on to the next guy because they've only got 15 minutes of individuals. Harry will stop and make sure that you do it right so that you're not practicing bad technique before he'll move on. And it's those little, slight, subtle differences. I've watched him over the last 10 plus years coach that position and see how well that's translated to the NFL. It's those sort of things that differentiate him from everybody else. And why we're gonna see a Zeke Corral maybe crack the top five now, because he's getting the type and quality of instruction that Harry Heastan brings.
0: Aaron, you're exactly right about that attention to detail and repetition because I, I'm fil- I'm filming practice highlights of the first five periods that we get access to, and I'm I'm there for five minutes filming offensive linemen. I was like, I only got three guys because they kept re- redoing it to make sure that they were getting it right. <laughs> so uh, that definitely is, is true with, with Harry's teaching style. Um, Blake Fisher is someone that I think a lot of people are excited about. Obviously, he was he earned a starting starting spot at left tackle as a true freshman to start the season, then had an injury and then came back and played pretty well in the Fiesta bowl. Are you as excited about Blake Fisher as the rest of Notre Dame's fan base is? And and why do you think he could potentially be special?
1: Well, the, the fact that he was able to crack the starting five at the collegiate level being as young as he is indicates that he's extremely naturally talented. So for him to do that and be able to come back towards the end of the year and, and be that, lump of clay we talked about earlier that Harry gets a chance to be able to mold like the sky's possibly the limit for this kid and and I think we have to give credit where credit's due for the previous regime for getting those players to campus that that Harry steps into a really good situation and he's going to take what would have been a good O-line and possibly make them a great O-line the fact that you have so much youth at the, the critical positions, given the, the current recruiting that's going on, there appears to be a pipeline at that position that is going to be fantastic. And that's part of what Fisher brings to the table. You need length to be able to be successful at that position. And he certainly brings that to the table. You need some grit and an attitude and a mindset that you don't just want to block your guy. You want to dominate your guy. Well, there's ways that you do that and there's ways that you don't that has to be coached into some guys blake as i understand it from the, the conversations that i've had with some of the people in the program and harry himself needs to develop that it's there though but it's like a, a, a an ember that you need to fan the, the 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 flame a little bit to get that to, to ember to kind of turn into a flame rather but I, he's got everything you need to be successful and now the most critical uh, part of that equation with Harry being in that room I think has all of us excited like that that's going to be what I'm most interested to watch when we go on the road with the Buckeyes is to see the tenacity and the finishing that's how Irish fans if you're listening how you're going to know this O-line has a chance is you watch them finish and play to the whistle you watch them not just block their guy but want to dominate their guy you watch them celebrate with people and high-five and having fun those are going to be things that are going to be little tells that this offensive line is coming together and every line that Harry's coach has been worth a damn does that. And my guess is by year end, this
2: one will do it as well. Aaron, there's, um, there's some really good linemen that aren't going to be starters, including Rocco Spindler. Who's going to be a sophomore who is very highly touted and, and I can name several others, Tosh Baker, um, how do how do those kind of guys stay engaged um, when you know there's not a lot of rotation on the offensive line unless there's an injury? How does Harry keep those guys engaged? Is it just part of the culture or how how does that work so that they don't you know get sour about their situation, I guess?
1: Well, first and foremost, if you wanna play in the offense or in the NFL as an offensive lineman, there's no better place in the country to go than playing with Harry Houston. Uh Secondly, uh, patience is prudence. And I think our position is is ironically the most skilled on the field because it, it's the one that requires the most fundamentals. All of the positions can deal with athleticism and there's other things that can compensate for what they do, but it takes a while to be able to develop the things necessary to play our position well, because nothing about our position is natural. Everything is unnatural, so that has to be taught. So things change quickly. And we saw that last year with Notre Dame's offensive line, just how quickly guys can go down and it's the next guy up mentality. One of the things I've been able to notice about Harry's units, Is And one of the stories that he loves to tell about Quentin Nelson is when Quentin and his dad came to campus and were watching and, and making their tour around the country, trying to figure out where it is they wanted to go. The thing that stood out to him was that when Harry would move on and coach the next guy, the backups immediately came in and started talking with that other player and basically start coaching themselves. There's a level of engagement that's required to be in Harry stands room that he demands where it's not just the guy taking the rep, but you can learn with your eyes by watching what's happening, talking with the guy, working together truly as a unit. And that's just not something that you see. And that's what Quentin mentioned. He said, the thing that I liked about Notre Dame is that everybody was engaged, everybody was talking, everybody had a coaching point for the guy that just you know took a one-on-one pass rush rep. And so when I went to other places, that just wasn't there. Guys would go get water and they checked out and I didn't like that. So those are things that maybe you guys and the fans need to know about what a Rocco Spindler, who may not be cracking the starting lineup yet, is gonna keep him engaged and motivate and incentivize him to stick around. He's not gonna get any better tutelage at that position than he's getting right now And if he's as good as we all think he is, it's just a matter of time before he gets on the field. And my guess is that'll be either this year or next year at some point. But patience is prudence. And if those guys hang in there, there's not a better teacher of our position on the planet than Double H.
0: Aaron, Josh Lugg, I think, is probably the most overlooked member of the offensive line, maybe because he's been at Notre Dame for so long. Uh, How how much value does he bring just on experience alone as someone who's been here and, and, and uh, has has gone through a lot as as an offensive lineman for Notre Dame.
1: Man, Luggy's probably working on his third uh, doctorate degree. Man, <laughs> he's been at Notre Dame since Rockney was there. That kid, man. It's uh, I, th- there's there's no replacing experience and that voice that's seen it that's been there like this is his second go around now with harry right so he was there for the first machine having yeah. different experience and now he's back to where he's familiar so those sort of things especially for the younger players man that's what i remembered and for me it was the geno mcguires and the Mirko yorkovics and the Lindsay Knapps when my eyes were big and i was you know playing next to these incredibly talented guys and didn't know whether the play was going left or right and it was moving fast They'd pull me off to the side and tell me who to block or after practice, after I got my ass chewed, you know, they had the consoling words and would help me through that process. And that's what love brings, man. Not only has he got some pretty experienced eyes, but knowing how to navigate the length of a season to work through challenging patches, to be a a voice of reason, almost, if you will is invaluable. And that's what experience brings. And that's what he and Jarrett's job is going to be able to do with these young players that are going to be around them. And I think that's a necessary ingredient of any successful offensive line is to have that leadership and that experience. Guys that know what it takes, guys that knows what it looks like to be able to set and hold that standard and maybe help the younger guys get up to it if it's a little challenging early on.
2: Aaron, uh, early in my career at the South Bend Tribune, I was the Big Ten beat writer, so I didn't normally cover Notre Dame, but there were some crossover games, um, and I remember the first time that I saw you play and Bryant Young play, it was just different. I thought, wow, there's nobody like this in the Big Ten, um, and and usually when I'd watch games, I would follow the ball, and I think most fans do. You don't, I know, but but I do. And I couldn't take my eyes off of the trenches in that game. It was fascinating. And then here, you two had a chance for an incredibly special weekend with Bryant going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I, I'm wondering what your chemistry and friendship was like then, what it's like now, and what this weekend was like for you. Oh, boy. Is this the point in the podcast where I start crying?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh. <laughs> Uh,
1: there's not a better person on the planet than than Bryant Young, and certainly not a better teammate. And I, my my, you know, overarching thirty thousand foot view takeaway is that Canton and Bryant Young deserve each other. It is good company that each of them are keeping, and it was incredible to watch him this weekend to be at the table. That is the elite of the elite of the elite of our sport, and he has earned his way more so than anybody to be among those giants and those legends and none of us are shocked. Some of us are shocked it took as long as it did, but when you know his character, when you know his work ethic, when you know that he's a man of few words, but when he speaks it's because it's needed and everybody listens. It was incredible to watch the amount of admiration and respect over decades and generations of collegiate and NFL players and coaches that were in attendance. And it was an honor to be his friend. We took our first rep against each other at Notre Dame. It was the leverage drill. Before any of the vets were there, we were all freshmen. We all had tape with our last names on our helmets because nobody knew who the hell we were. And we stalemated right out of the gate. And we did that for the next four years. But through that, we developed a friendship in a bond and i lived with him for two summers in between summer school you know doing construction to make some money on the side on the south side of chicago and got to know his family so i got a chance to reconnect with them so i've seen this whole journey that he's been on and i just couldn't be more proud of him and the man that he's become especially given the adversity that he and Kristen have gone through losing colby and the the tib fib compound fracture that he came back from and, and went on to have a Hall of Fame career over. He almost lost his leg. So I think what people see is results, but very rarely do you understand what it takes to earn and to create those results. So having being privy to what that's taken him to do and, and what he's had to overcome to get there, it just blows me away, man. Like when I grow up, I wanna be Brian Young. And I just think that, he and can't deserve each other, and I was really honored to be there and to, to reconnect with all of our old friends. And I mean, we had 25 plus teammates that were there from Notre Dame. His family was there. It was like a, a life reunion for all of us. You know, three four decades long. So I just, all of us have the utmost respect for By the person, the man, and of course the player.
0: Aaron, I, w- I was at the Notre Dame camp this summer when Bryant was in town with his son, Bryce, who actually earned an offer from Notre Dame with the way he played at camp. And it was pretty cool to see Bryant walking around the sidelines, being a proud dad. Uh, I- I'm curious, you mentioned on Twitter, uh, or asked for some advice how to handle reunion etiquette. Were you, were you able to properly navigate spending the right amount of time with the right right number of people who are, who, who wanted to talk to you this weekend? <laughs>
1: No man, I I'm I'm socially awkward, is what I think I'm I'm getting like I I get all weirded out because like I bump into somebody, you'd be like, oh my god, like well, how you doing, man? How you been? And then boom, ten seconds later, somebody else would come by, and it's like, who, who do I talk to? It was like I was overwhelmed to a certain uh, standpoint, and I was watching that happen to a lot of people, and I was like, somebody needs to write a book on this, like what it is you're supposed to do, and it sorts itself out, of course, but. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm as socially savvy as I once maybe was. So I, was, I just, you know, owned it, man, and, and humbly asked for some help, and I got some good advice. But uh, it was, as much as it was serious, it was also tongue-in-cheek because it was incredible, the amount of people. And it just, it really kind of contextualized how much of my life I owe to this incredible sport and in the relationship. So we all want results. Everybody wants Notre Dame to go win a national championship. And the thing we talk about isn't what it is we did on Saturdays. It's all the stuff around it. And that's the relationships, because at the end of the day, football is a people game and that's worth celebrating. So this was a hell of an opportunity to do that in Canton and if I have to feel a little awkward and hurt some people's feelings or have mine hurt along the way, that's certainly fine. Uh, I'm also learning that I'm best in small doses. So I, I kind of interject <laughs> myself in conversations and get out before I put my foot in my mouth.
2: Um Aaron shifting gears um one of the things that has been really interesting to me is your advocacy for mental health, you know, I think it's something that people are finally talking out loud and openly about, and yet I think some of your videos, I know Tom Mendoza's commented to me and probably to you, I'm sure, about some of your videos and 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 other people that I know kind of randomly about how powerful some of these have been and what kind of effects they have on on themselves. And so my question to you is, what prompted you to want to use your platform to make mental health um, something that people felt comfortable talking about and dealing with? Yeah, I
1: appreciate that, Eric. Mental health is health. Let's start there, right? Just like a, a torn knee or a sprained ankle or a bad back, mental health is just health. The reality is though, we often wear our game faces and, and many of us, whether you're an athlete or not end up suffering in silence. And I've lost nine people from my football and military circle to completed suicide. And I'm tired of losing people unnecessarily and prematurely. So my belief is that by sharing my story and what it's been like for me, what I've done about that what it's like now can help to kind of to, to foster conversation and to normalize the conversation around this critically important piece of our health and just help everybody to realize that we're all out here winging it, man, Like we're we're doing the best we can. But there are things that we can do to help improve the way that we experience our outcomes and and our everyday life. And my my observation is that many people just don't know what that is. So I went to Twitter and will continue to do so to just kind of share what it's like for me when I'm, I'm struggling as a parent or my esteem is down or I'm starting to get into a depressive cycle. And what we've learned in neuroscience to help rewind that and to change that and no different than you know the focus, attention, time, and effort that it takes to come back from you know two ruptured patella tendon surgeries, that same focus, attention, time, and effort if we apply it to our mental health can significantly improve the way that we experience everyday life. So I'm just trying to normalize this conversation uh, those that know me know that i'm a special kind of special but there is a way out and we don't have to suffer in silence and what i've i've observed from this process is that everybody's starting to talk a little bit more and the feedback that i've gotten is thank you for saying that man you spoke for me and that helped me think about things a little bit differently and I don't know what the solution is going to be, fellas, but I sure do plan on being part of it, and the only thing I'm an expert in is my own experience, so that's what I share, so I'm glad to hear that it's having a positive effect.
0: Aaron, with the with the football season fastly approaching, what what's your schedule and work, work schedule look like coming up?
1: Well, uh, considering that I'm already 60,000 miles in this year, and certainly I think when I added it up preseason to do another 120,000, I think the, uh, the, the, the appropriate word is busy or involved. Um, <laughs> I love this time of year. It is great. I think Notre Dame fans have a lot to look forward to. There's an energy around the program that just hasn't been there for quite some time. The talent that's being recruited and starting to raise their hand to say, hey, I want to be part of something special, reminds me a lot of what it looked like when I was on campus. So there's a lot of things going on, but there's not a better sport on this planet than college football, despite our best efforts collectively to try to screw this damn thing up. So I think we've had enough chatter off the field. So I'm just looking to forward to seeing the ball being kicked off on August 27th and certainly September 3rd when Notre Dame goes into Columbus and gets that W.
0: Aaron, I know uh, you, uh, I guess I probably shouldn't overlook that. You you feeling confident that Ohio, that Notre Dame can beat Ohio State?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Hey man, I'm always confident. Why not? Why not us? Why not them? And I'll say this, as good as Ohio State is offensively, their lines of scrimmage struggled last year a little bit. I certainly expect them to be improved, but particularly on the defensive uh, side of the ball, People were running on them at will. So yeah, we're going to have our hands full defensively, but I like our chances with our improved offensive line. I think that's a matchup that certainly favors ourselves. It's going to be a tough out. That's a tough place to play against a really talented team, but this is the start of a new era. and Why not, baby? Let's go Irish.
0: All right, Aaron, that's all we got for you. I know you said you're better in small doses, but uh, we can never get enough Aaron Taylor on the podcast. So we appreciate you taking time (laughs) to talk to us as always. And uh, best of of luck and safe travels throughout the season.
1: Awesome, guys. I appreciate it, man. You do so much for our sport and so much for our program. You guys are OGs and the best of the best. So I'm honored that you guys would allow me to come on and, and talk about the school and the sport that I love the most.
0: Let's do it again soon. All right, now it's time for questions. Our question segment is powered by AcrePro Midwest Farm Group. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. AcrePro Midwest Farm Group are your local farmland specialists. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local AcrePro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit AcrePro.com or call 765-587-3185. And talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-587-3185. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at E. HansonND. First question I have for us, Eric, is from at Charles W. Wolf. What has been your biggest surprise,
2: good or bad, so far in camp? Well, you know, I want to... I want to frame it in that um, camp hasn't lent itself to a lot of surprises just from the way it's structured. When we're in there, we, we don't see formations. We don't see a lot of competitive um, periods. We see a lot of drills and stretching and that's, that's by design. They want us to see, you know, who's moving around and so forth like that. But uh in terms of uh so the, the question was surprised. Mm-hmm. Could be good or bad. What what you Yeah, I, I would say um maybe the surprise to me is how quickly uh, see, I, I expected Tobias Merriweather to be good and to be ready. I think it's how good and how ready so far that he's he's displayed himself in the drills that we've seen. Again, I'm once they get into pads, I want to see physically how he holds up. And, and, but, you know, we had him on the podcast and he sounded ready. And just the way that he had approached the senior track season and want a state championship. Um, I believe in the 200, you know, you, you could kind of see that he was, he was ready. So I would say probably that's my surprise i think once we get a look at them maybe in a scrimmage situation on the 16th that'll kind of jump out a little bit more to me on who the surprises are and maybe some of the young cornerbacks too i you know might have surprised me a little bit
0: yeah i think it's hard to be surprised when we spend so much time thinking and reporting on Notre Dame football. Uh, But I I would say the surprise for me was Jaden Thomas. I, I, and that would, that's meaning a good surprise. I think um, from what I saw in the first practice, he's not just a potential starter by default. He, He, I'm starting to see reasons why he can be a productive playmaker for Notre Dame. I thought he looked pretty good. Obviously it kind of stunk that the next day he was, He was sort of sidelined with uh, something minor that kept him out and he's been back since. Um, So we didn't get to see him sort of continue that in the second practice, but I thought he, I thought he's looked good in the the windows that we've had to to see them. And uh, obviously if, if the surprises and positive momentum are with some young receivers, that's that's good news for Notre Dame because that's probably where it needs it the most. Next question is from, Douglas McAnally at D underscore McAnally who has impressed you the most and least in your practice
2: viewing sessions I would say again I haven't seen a lot of competitive situations I'm sure if I did I would be talking about the offensive line I need to see them in pads and moving people around right Um, but I'll go with kind of an offbeat one. Chris Tyree coming back at 197, being a thicker build, you know, he he certainly changed his body to the point where maybe he's going to be a little bit more durable. Um, you know, so far he's looked, you know, the Chris Tyree when, you know, Chris can hit home runs with uh, you know, finding a seam and getting ahead of the defense. You know, that's the Chris Tyree that's that's impressed me. And it's hard to say somebody that hasn't impressed, but I'll I'll go ahead. And only because this guy's had like the worst luck, and that's Acido Aquano. Acita Aquano, you know, there's so many good vipers on this team. Acita has been hurt so much of his career, you know, such a good athlete. Um, I'm just not sure he's gonna get a chance. To really show himself, given how much time he's missed and how much competition that he has to go against. Yeah,
0: and when you throw in Jordan Botello as a potential Viper option, who who seems to be the, always moving back and forth between linebacker and defensive end, I think it's it's just hard for him to crack that lineup. I think there's a lot of different Viper options that Notre Dame has on its roster. So um, I know people wondered, well, maybe is it is it worth trying to move Osita to running back? Notre Dame hasn't done that yet, um, but we will see if that's something that they look at or consider in the long run. But uh, it, yeah, he, he seems to just sort of be buried. I really like him as an athlete, but we just haven't seen it come come together on the field during his Notre Dame career. I went sort of position-wise in terms of what I've seen that, that was most impressive and, and or least impressive. To me, the most impressive is just Notre Dame's defensive line. Like you mentioned, we haven't seen a lot of like, especially when you talk about linemen, guys being actually able to physically dominate their opponents just because of the the lack of pads that they've been practicing in. But I, I think that group is a physically impressive group. Isaiah Foskey looks great. Riley Mills is a beast. Um, there's yeah. depth inside and out. Um, so I think, I mean, it's not surprising that, that they've impressed, but um, that that was the first thing that came to mind to me. Least impressive, which is kind of funny because you mentioned Chris Tyree as, as most impressive. I went with the running back position, but it's not necessarily their fault. We don't get to see them doing a lot early on, especially when they're not in pads. We don't get to really see what what they're doing running running the football. Um, and I don't know that I've seen many like sort of wild plays from any of the running backs yet. Um, I've actually been a little bit pleased with what we've seen from Logan Diggs in terms of where he's at. It's just a matter of whether or not his shoulder is ready to hold up. But he looks like he's ready in every other aspect. Um, whenever he gets the clearance um, following his his labrum surgery after the Blue Gold game, so. I think that's sort of where I'm at least impressive is hard to say, because like, like you mentioned with, without the competitive reps, there's not a lot of people that are, you see losing. So unless like I was a very. um, Analytical person and like, felt like I knew like, okay, that cornerback isn't doing the right footwork or whatever. I don't know that I could get into that sort of depth to to be like, okay, so, so so-and-so is not greater. Those guys are really struggling right now, just through
2: some of the drills that they're doing that we get to see. Yeah. One of the, you know, one of the, differences in Marcus's practices and Brian Kelly's was there was at least um, usually a drill where the receiver would go against a defensive back, the receiver, the tight end would go to defensive back one-on-one. Right. And, and even though it was unfair to the defender in that situation, um, you could get the relative speed and strength and cutting ability of the receivers and also you know how much pass interference the dbs felt like they had to play to keep them so that was a great drill we we got a lot of insight out of that 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 drill does not appear in the at least in the first five that we're in for
0: yeah i I imagine they do that later in practice but yeah like you said it's just not what we get to see in in the first five viewing windows so um the first five period viewing windows that we get so um the, the, there is some wide receiver DB stuff, but that's just like a, it's like a swing pass and it's more about yeah. pursuit angles than anything else. It's not really. And, a, and they try to
2: strip the ball too. Right, right.
0: Next question is from Cheryl Russo at Cheryl R. A Bunch of Numbers. How is Matt Salerno doing in camp so far? Can ND count on him if he is called upon?
2: Well, again, you know, what I've seen of Matt Salerno is just kind of running around. Um, I'll base this more on what I saw from him in the spring. I mean, Matt Salerno can make the occasional play. I, I still think he's a solid punt returner. I don't think he's their most dynamic option there. He's not a guy that I think you could count on to be a starter, but I think he's a guy that you could count on to sub in and and give you some good reps if you need him. So I'm, I'm not um, Salerno basher. I think he's a, a guy that they're happy that came back happy that he earned a scholarship. But he's he really needs to be part of your depth and not one of your frontline players.
0: Yeah, I uh I thought he had a, a decent practice. The first practice that we saw, he had a couple of passes in the red or a couple of catches in the uh in some red zone work. I I think I saw someone else on the beat, like refer to him as having two touchdown catches. But one of them, at least to my recollection, was sort of like at the two or three yard line and then he ran in. It's like, well, he probably would have been tackled if the if the DBs were actually tackling, but they're not tackling at this point. So uh um but but I I yeah I think he's he's a dependable player. That's how I would describe him. Um he's not gonna blow you away um with athleticism. I don't think he's uh, I'm pretty confident in saying that he's not as good as an athlete as Chris Fink. Um but I think you can rely on him to do what you ask him to do and, and catch the football. I think he's a pretty pretty um uh, Trustworthy, pass catcher. So yeah, I mean, if you if you're put in a position where you need him to get out there, he's going to do some things for you. But I don't think he's going to he's going to blow the game open or make a, a game changing play necessarily. And and I if I had to guess, I don't think we'll see him returning punts very much because uh, the Dame's putting a lot of different options back there that seem to be a little bit more intriguing. And uh, it seems that Brian Mason is less conservative as a, as a as a special teams coordinator, at least as a, as it re- relates to punt return that than brian polian was next question is from nathan reynolds at enforcers 2117 have you seen or heard anything about how josh brian is doing in practice i know we got blake groupie but brian was ranked number the number one kicker by chris saylor kicking and i thought he was supposed to be the next kicker kicker after jonathan door
2: tyler have you seen him kick yet <laughs> no 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 okay. that, was, well, that was my there was, note. A, there I was the first practice where we're split up and I ended up staying with the punters and the kickers were in, in the indoor part, and I thought they were going to kick. So I was kind of looking forward to that. I did get to see how the punters looked and Bryce McPherson is, looks really, really good. Now that doesn't answer your question. Um, so I have not asked about him yet. Our next chance to ask somebody about him will be Marcus. Freeman on Saturday and we'll ask then if we haven't seen it I'm a little surprised we haven't seen an early special teams period again BK would Brian Kelly would mix up the formats of practice sometimes and we'd have an early special teams period with kicking we haven't seen that yet maybe we will Thursday or Friday we don't see Brian Mason until the 19th so that's going to be a long time so we're going to have to if we haven't seen them kick we'll have to get some information out of uh, Marcus Freeman on uh, Saturday.
0: Yeah. We've seen some special team stuff, but it has been punt or I think, I think yesterday they were even doing some kickoff stuff um, yeah. with, with some kick returners too, but we just we haven't seen field goal stuff, Correct. Um, which is what the question is asking. So <laughs> to answer the question, have you seen or heard anything? <laughs> no, not really. I don't think I've even seen a single field goal attempt. Um, and now obviously, they're going to be back doing that on their own while we're watching the other stuff. But we're, we have such a limited window. It's like, do I want to sit here and watch these guys kick field goals or, or, or uh, try to go get film of these other positions doing work. So we haven't gotten to that yet, but uh, we'll see. I I am curious, like you would think that just by happenstance, I mean, we've seen, we've been, I've had, had, had access to what? Three practices now. Yeah. Um, The fact that we haven't seen like a field goal session during uh, during those practices, it seems a little bit strange, and I wonder if that's intentional that they're trying to, uh, to hide the the kicking game, the field goal kicking concerns from from the media early on. Well, at well, some point, they're going
2: to want to put those guys under a little bit more pressure. I know right. Charlie Weiss liked to have the media in there when the kickers were kicking, just so that there were more eyeballs on them and more pressure.
0: And and, and we did see a lot in the spring. There was not a lack yeah. of field goal stuff in the spring, so we did get some looks at it, but um and that's why we're aware of the inconsistencies and 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 not yeah. necessarily a, a clear a clear winner there. Next question is from Irish I12 on the insider lounge considering Notre Dame is breaking in a new head coach and quarterback how
2: surprised were you with the coaches coaches poll ranking of number 5? I was surprised um this is the first year since sometime in the 90s that I haven't been an AP poll voter. Um, and so usually I would have a stronger opinion about this cause I would have had to turn in my done the research, three season AP poll and do the research. But I, if you had asked me, guess where Notre Dame would be ranked, I would probably have said 10. So five is, is higher. I think maybe some of it is a result of how much, I mean, every time I open Twitter, Notre Dame or Marcus Freeman is t- trending. Um, And I think a lot of it is how good of a recruiter he is, how much Notre Dame's been in the spotlight. And, you know, a lot of their players were in the individual award watch list and so forth. There's a lot of preseason All-Americans. So I think that's that's where you get that number five ranking. But um, I think that's toward the high end of where they'll end up. You know, four out of the last five years, they've outplayed their preseason ranking. In a lot of previous years, that wasn't the case with ranked Notre Dame teams. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I I was surprised. I mean, that's the highest preseason ranking since uh, 2006 for Notre Dame. Yeah, I think – I mean, sometimes I think we have to take into account that
0: we, as both Notre Dame reporters and and you as Notre Dame fans, are more – Uh, knowledgeable of of Notre Dame's flaws than maybe opposing coaches or opposing beat writers would be um, just because we're we're talking about them all the time and, and, and reporting on them and and looking into that. So um, I, I, whenever you think about, well, is this too high? It's like, well, what do I know about these other teams and what I, how, where would I rank them? And I like it sort of like you having not done the research because you're not voting in the AP poll. I certainly haven't done that research. Um, So I mean, to see like Michigan one spot below them, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I don't know that necessarily hands down Michigan is a better team than Notre Dame going into this season. So I, I, at least in that comparison, it sort of made some sense. But I don't know. I haven't spent a lot of time looking at what well should Texas a and be ahead of Notre Dame or not. Um, I, I just think overall it speaks highly of Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese and and the respect that that coaching profession has for them um, that they would that those sort of expectations are continuing with those guys uh, leading this team. Um, so I, I I would be surprised if when the first AP poll comes out, that Notre Dame is ranked as high. I, I, my guess would be they won't be, um, but, but we'll find out soon enough. Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. The current line for the Ohio state game seems like a lot. What do you think the line should be? And if ND wins the coin toss, do you think
2: Marcus Freeman should receive or defer and why? Um, I, I'm a little surprised how high it is. I I wouldn't, you know, I would say definitely double digits and maybe around 12 seems about right to me, but again, it's not a prediction. It's, you know, a reflection of where the betting money is going. Um, so, you know, I mean, given, given Marcus Freeman's first game, given Tyler Buckner's first game, and given how difficult it is to play in that stadium and how successful Ohio State's been there, uh, that seems about right. Uh, Notre Dame does have the longest true road winning streak active in the nation right now at 10 games. So that's one thing in their favor. As far as the coin flip, boy, I know people (laughs) for the whole Brian Kelly era, you know, just wouldn't let it go that Brian wanted to receive most of the time. I think in that particular environment in Ohio stadium, haven't been in that building before. I would also choose to receive if I were Marcus, um, Ohio state's defense is not its stronger suit. I think again, usually your scripted plays your first series, you have a chance to move the ball, quiet the crowd a little bit, or at least get them to go to the bathroom or something. Um, And you don't want Ohio State to put up the first touchdown and then have to play catch-up in a track meet the whole rest of the night. So right. I think setting the tone with a strong offensive possession against a defense that is good but not great, I think is uh, is the way that I would go. Yeah, I, I
0: agree with you there. I, I I would suggest that that Marcus Freeman should receive Um, not that I would actually suggest that I'm not going to tell Marcus Freeman what to do, but I, I I'd rather put my offense out there first rather than give Ohio state a chance to score first. Um, but considering Marcus Freeman and his defensive background and someone who's probably pretty confident in Notre Dame's defense, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he chose to defer. So, um, I, I don't think it's as big of a, advantage or disadvantage as many people want to make it out to be it's it's only, it's only the wrong decision when you end up losing that's usually how, how i feel like it goes and it's just something that people like to point to and, and get annoyed by and, it, and i sort of understand the idea of like why do you do the same thing every time there has to be there should be some sort of a reason behind your decision rather than just blankly doing the same thing every time um as for the vegas line um vegas knows a lot more about profiting off of gambling lines better than i do even if i sometimes play an odds maker in our place your bet bet segment um so i I wouldn't say that i feel terribly strongly that they're they're wrong on this and like you said it's it's gauged it's it's also weighing like how i can make the most money off of the line and also not lose the most money if I were setting the line, it my, it would probably be around ten and a half, would probably be the number. It, it that seems high. Like I um I mean, I guess people I mean, there probably I, there obviously are people still betting on Ohio State despite that line. Um, but that seems like a big line for Ohio State. And and maybe some of it is like people don't expect Ohio State to fall flat on their face at home early in a season, uh two years in a row, because that would uh um, just the odds of that happening probably aren't aren't that great, so maybe that has something to do with it. But um, certainly, the way the their, their offense played last season, um, you can understand why why Ohio State's ability to score would would create a, a big line like that. Next question is from at Drew Brennan seventy seven. I have a sneaky feeling that Eli Raritan gets used a bunch against Ohio State. His size is just too good. What are your thoughts here?
2: I don't think that you're off on that. Um, I had somebody, I think, asked me in last week's live chat about maybe a surprise person in in the lineup, and I think Eli could be could end up being the second tight end in this offense, um, and I think that he would create a unfavorable matchup for Ohio State. Um, I just don't know quite yet if he's going to be ready for um, everything that would be required from him in an opener, if you had asked me for a game later in the season, I would be more confident in it. But I do think Eli is a guy that's going to get on the field early and have an impact. Yeah.
0: I I think it's, it's, I I think it's certainly possible. I think you, you have to make sure he's physically ready for that. Um, because I do think you sort of need him for the long haul of the season too. So I don't know that. Um, I mean, I, 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 don't know for sure. Like what's the difference. I mean, if he's not a hundred percent, he's not, he's not going to play. Um, but it's like, okay, will it make a difference if he's playing now versus playing in two weeks? I, I, I don't know how they feel about that. I mean, we saw him do quite a bit, quite a bit when we, we were practicing, but he is someone that I don't think that they're giving a full workload to quite yet. Um, But when he's out there, he looks good. It's not like he looks limited in any sort of way. I think they're just sort of being precautious and making sure that he can handle everything that's being thrown at him. Um, So, but yeah, I mean, there's plenty to like. I mean, his size certainly could give teams problems um, and any sort of height that you can add onto the field, I think is a good thing. Um, Any sort of attention that you can either pull away from Michael Mayer or um, find players to exploit, the lack of attention given elsewhere because of all the attention that is being given to Michael Mayer um, is a good thing. So we'll see how Notre Dame and Tommy Reese plan to attack Ohio state's defense. Next question is from at Mr. Joe Seiler, which formation will be used more in 2022 multiple tight ends or multiple running backs?
2: I would say multiple tight ends. There's more that you can do with that. I think if Notre Dame had the full complement of five healthy, um, wide receivers and one of those with Jerry and Price. I could see you going with a little bit more two back because you could shift into uh, putting Price in the slot, you know, when you move the formation around pre snap. Uh, but Notre Dame has enough really good tight ends and enough variety in what their skill sets are. And, you know, just the ability to have an extra blocker, use them as a fullback. Uh, I like the thought that there will be more multiple tight end sets. Yeah. I, I didn't
0: look into this or do research on it, but I, I, I would imagine that most years I, I I would be curious when the last time Notre Dame had, had used more multiple running back formations than multiple tight ends formations. I, my guess would be, it'd be in quite some time because it's just not that frequently, well, maybe or <laughs> maybe frequently used. Um, I, I understand why why the question's being asked. And that's because of the lack of, or at least of this. My assumption is that the lack of receiver depth is going to require you to play more multiple tight end and more multiple running back looks. Um, but I, I just think multiple tight ends will will win out there. It could be used in all over the field and 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 even probably more than normal in the red zone. Um, I, obviously, that d- depends on how much trust that Notre Dame has in the tight ends beyond. Michael Mayer, Kevin Bauman is someone that they're expecting good things from. Certainly, losing Mitchell Evans to start the season um, hurts that, but whether it's Eli Reardon, holding stays or Cam Barong, there's other guys that are there that are on the roster that Notre Dame can put in those positions to help them. So um, they're all, they've also done something. If if we got to talk to Tommy Reese more frequently and there weren't more important questions to ask him, I wanted to ask him about David Sherwood because we saw a lot of him um, in the first practice. Um, as a fullback H backs kind of role, um, when they're doing red zone work. So I, I don't know if that's something specific to the lack of healthy bodies they had, or if that's something that Tommy Reese is interested in, in sort of utilizing more as that position. I know that's a little bit of the role that to, uh, Tommy Tremble played at times. And, and I don't know that they had anyone that they could do that with. I don't know if David, well, I think I'm pretty confident saying David Sherwood isn't the next Tommy Tremble, but I think, uh, the fact that he could maybe play, do some similar things, and be utilized in some ways to help out the offense and give them advantages um, in certain situations, I'm sort of curious how how that goes. But I I, I think uh, the the multiple tight ends wins probably by a land, landslide, and especially if Avery Davis is healthy, I think the new the need for two running backs, um, and in, in that situation, I think sometimes one of those running backs lining up in the slot uh, lessens pretty significantly. Next question is from Michael Kenny at Domer747. Two questions. One, which non-starters do you expect to make the biggest impacts this year? And two, what's the biggest weakness and strength on the defense this year? So let's start with the first one. Who are the
2: non-starters that you expect to make the biggest impacts this year? I had a hard time differentiating from about 10 people that I picked. <laughs> um well and,
0: and he th- thankfully he didn't ask for just one he, he gave us the opportunity to list more than one by saying non-starters so um you don't have to do just one
2: well the but I, but i, but I, but I, I would encourage whole...
0: you i would encourage you to not do all 10 either yeah
2: <laughs> I, I would say on defense i would narrow it down to bo bauer mm-hmm. um and on offense uh, and 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 Jordan Batello being my wild card on offense. I mean, it has to be digs. Um, pre- presuming that Tyree is going to be the starter once he right. comes back. I, I mean, Lindsay is going to impact Eli. I think it's going to impact, but, and Tobias, but I think Lindsay's probably the guy I know people are kind of tired of Braden Lindsay, but I think this is probably the year that he's going to be the most productive and i don't think he'll be a starter if davis is back in the lineup i think it'll be um davis and um styles number 4 and uh then somebody uh in into the boundary one you know either jaden thomas colsey or tobias um so styles being number 4 I don't know why I forget his name. <laughs> well, it's I, I think it's harder to remember
0: when he's wearing the number four. Um, yeah. I sort of forget that he he, he is four. Um, I I don't think he will be a forget forgettable player this year. No. I expect him to have a, a very big season. Um, I think there's there's a lot of options here, and I think some some of it it's hard to pin down to a specific player because I think there's a lot of rotation that'll happening. Like I think when you say Bo Bauer, we're sort of assuming that he's sort of the fourth linebacker. Um, and I think that will probably be the case, but it could be different. Um, or, uh, but I do think those four linebackers are going to play a lot between J.D. Bertrand, Bo Bauer, um, Maris Leofau, and Jack Kaiser. So whatever combination that they're used in, whether who's starting. And sometimes they may only be starting two if they're playing in nickel. And I would probably imagine that that's what they start in against Ohio State, given the receivers that Ohio State has. But um Justin Adamolo, I think, is at the top of that list, too, in terms of impact non-starters. He's yeah. going to be playing a lot. Tariq Bracey has a nickel. Obviously, if they're, they're starting a nickel, then that, that that would maybe disqualify him. And like you said, L- Logan Diggs, whoever the number two running back is, and even the number three running back, I think will will have have impacts this year. And, and I'd, I'd even include Drew Pine in that conversation. I don't think he's going to impact the game on a weekly basis, but um, I just have a feeling at some point this season, they're going to need him we um, are going to need him and his mustache and his mustache. We'll see if how long the mustache lasts. Uh, but I, I, but I do think uh, that he, I think he's been pretty impressive to start camp and uh, th- that would be a, my short list of, of guys that maybe, maybe surprised me a little bit that I thought I think he's looked even better than I was anticipating and, and making it a, a, a serious competition, even though that we think that Tyler Buckner wins out in the end. Um, the second question, what was the biggest or what are the biggest weaknesses Or no, what is the biggest weakness and biggest
2: strength on the defense this year? Well, I I think the defensive line wins the strongest position group of offense or defense. And it used to be easy to say cornerbacks, and I think it still is cornerbacks, but I think they've improved a lot. I tried to pay a lot of attention to them yesterday, Um, and guys like Tucker and Morrison, um, they were you know, you, you couldn't tell in some of the drills who the reserves were. I thought that they, they're going to be a lot deeper group. Cam Hart is imposing in those drills. Mm -hmm. He is, um, you know, at six foot three and with length, he's going to be a real pain in the butt to throw against. Um, I I think the real kind of key guy is going to be Clarence Lewis and he looked good in drills yesterday. So.
0: Yeah, we're we're in agreement. I had the same position groups. I I I also agree that the depth on the corner at the cornerback position is is has improved, and I think you feel more comfortable with some of those guys coming off the bench. Um, but yeah, it it, it doesn't matter if, what the depth is like if Clarence Lewis is out there and he's not getting it done. Uh, I, but I think uh, I don't know that that's going to be the case. I think he has a chance to do that. I think Tariq Bracy has also improved a lot I think they really feel confident on where he's at and how reliable he can be not just as a nickelback but in some some situations as an outside corner too so um so those are the weaknesses I I, the the defense I think is the strength of the team so the weaknesses on the defense might not isn't, isn't necessarily uh something that's that we think is going to be very bad because I do think this this team will be very very good defensively this season Next question is from at Mike DeVoy one, assuming Jarrett Patterson moves to guard and plays well as we all expect, does that enhance his value to NFL teams? And he
2: also asked, how is the Kenny Minchie flip progressing? I think um, if Jarrett Patterson is as good a guard as he was as a center, it will definitely help his um, NFL stock because teams will look at him as a guy that's capable of playing either position. They won't look at him as just a guard. Right. Say, wow, he was one of the best centers in college football for you know and a three-year starter at that position. So we've got some flexibility with him. And and as long as he is an elite guard, I think that helps him. As far as Kenny Minchie, um, you know, with this being a dead period right now, Notre Dame can't host visits until the season starts. And um, you know, the goal is to get him on campus. Right now, they're trying to build a relationship with him. I still think it's more likely that it wouldn't happen than that he would flip to Notre Dame but I think that's they're kind of in the relationship building stage right now and and uh you know with somebody like Dylan Edwards that was easy I don't think it's as easy with quarterbacks and uh so we'll see how that pans out that's my take.
0: Yeah, I'm in agreement there on, on Minji. I still don't know that I would I feel great about Notre Dame getting him in the long run. Um but it's still early here. There's the conversations are happening. It's not, it's not urgent in the fact that they can get him on campus right away. Um, And I, th- I think Notre Dame is also in a position. It's like, well, if, if Minchie isn't our guy, then we want to see how some of these guys play to start their seasons. And so we're not in a rush to offer three more guys right now, when in, in three weeks, we'll have a better idea of, okay, these are the guys that we've liked on, on film going into their senior year. So I think that's probably how things play out. We'll see if Notre Dame can get Minchie on campus. The the, the tough part is it's obviously you're looking at getting him on campus for a game, but there's not a a good early season slate of home games for Notre Dame that you could really impress a kid with. So um, not that like you can't come, come to Notre Dame as a recruit and enjoy visiting for the Marshall game or the Cal game, but it's just, it's obviously not the same as coming for a night game against a big time opponent and stuff like that. Um, So, so, I, I'm curious to see if they do get him on campus or whatever quarterback they get on campus, what, which game they, they end up getting that person on campus for um, as for Jarrett Patterson. Yeah. The, it, it, the more flexible you can be in terms of position um, in, on the offensive line, the the better your draft stock is centers. Don't usually get drafted that high unless you're like clearly the best and, and sort of have some elite traits at, at center. You're not going to be a very early draft pick. I mean, it, certainly unlikely to be a first round draft pick. And now I don't necessarily think that Jarrett Patterson moving to guard is going to push him into the first round necessarily. Um, but I think if you're a center who can also play guard there, there's more to like there. Um, I would be, I'm curious to see like what Jarrett's physical progression is. And if he is someone that is, that would be physically able and strong enough to play guard at the NFL level, I would, I would lean towards him being a center at the NFL level, but we'll see. I mean, this is our going to be our first chance of, seeing what Jerry Patterson looks like as a guard and certainly the, the peck injury maybe limited his ability to sort of continue maximizing that and, and becoming a, a, maybe a better version at guard as he could be. Um, but, I, but I think uh, this, this move certainly doesn't hurt him. I don't think anyone's like, well, he can't play center. Now that he played guard, he, he could do potentially both. And that's, that's what uh, I don't know that this are, I'm pretty sure that this move has nothing to do with him maximizing his NFL value um it's just what sort of maximizes the 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 value for the team this season. All right, last question. I know we've we've gone a little bit long here. At Steve Goforth 5, has this year's game on Peacock been announced yet? Not that I'm a fan of games being on Peacock.
2: Well, there's not going to be a Peacock only game. All games will be all the home games including the Shamrock series game in Las Vegas will be offered both on NBC and Peacock. And the thing to know about Peacock is, um, as Notre Dame tries to negotiate its next contract with NBC, that streaming element is a really um, important revenue stream that wasn't negotiated until the last contract with NBC. So it may not be Peacock, They may have a different streaming service that they, um, negotiate with. And when you're talking about the potential for Notre Dame to remain independent and not have to, um, really seriously look at the big $10, that streaming element is going to be important. So you're going to be happy at some point that Notre Dame, uh, cares about the streaming because that's, uh. I know it was frustrating with the streaming only with uh, some of the games in the past couple of years, but that won't exist this year.
0: Yeah, I don't – the streaming stuff isn't going away. Um, I I think it would be fascinating to sort of see the reaction if sort of Notre Dame fans are, are looking at the possibility of remaining independent but being – most of their games being streamed, most of their home games being on a streaming platform rather than a, a traditional network – or, uh, or or maintaining independence. So I think uh um that is a possibility. I don't know that it's necessarily a likelihood. i uh, it's curious to see following the reporting from John Oran of the Sports Business Journal um last night that indicated that NBC and, and CBS were going to split sort of the B package of uh the Big Ten's remaining football slate, um, and that would likely wind up with NBC getting the primetime games. Um, and so when Notre Dame normally plays two primetime games, what what happens in those scenarios? Um, and the story did mention that uh, Peacock would likely be built into as a, as a possibility for the big 10 to be playing on. So I'd be curious to see if, if they push one or both of Notre Dame's games onto Peacock, I, I would doubt it would be both, but maybe one, like for instance, this year, would it be that crazy if Notre Dame or NBC moved the the Stanford game to Peacock and, and then uh, kept the Clemson game on NBC? I, obviously, I think it probably has a lot to do with what NBC has um, in terms of that other Big Ten game, and what other Big Ten games are sort of on that same weekend. So uh, lots of TV discussions ahead. I don't know that we have a lot of answers, but it's certainly a, a big, big role. It will be playing a big role in, in what Notre Dame's – independent slash conference affiliation uh looks like moving forward and that's the case for everyone it's not just notre dame Uh, that's what's that's what's uh sort of inspiring the the continued conference realignment uh with college football all right that's it for today's episode of the inside nd sports podcast if you don't already you can subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, spotify google podcast and other popular podcast platforms if you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, share our podcast feed with a friend, um, tell your mom about our podcast. I think that would be good advice too. Uh, we'll be back next week with more coverage of preseason football camp. Until then, stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs.